Thanks for jumping on the BSM Stories podcast again this week. We're so glad you're here. Uh, this is Cody Schaus. I'm here with Marcy Martinez. Hey, everybody. Our article this week is uh, a controversial one. When we picked it, um, when I shared it with Marcy, it was not very controversial. It was still pretty new, but I thought it was really insightful. But over the last few days, it has actually um, become rather controversial. There have been many responses um, put out to it from the Christian community that have been wide and varying, both in agreement and in disagreement. And so uh, uh, we're going to try to stay away from probably some of the controversy behind it and just share our thoughts uh, more than anything. But the article this week is by uh, actually a, a New Testament and church history scholar, N.T. Wright, um, and the, it's in ta- Time Magazine. Have you ever heard of N.T. N.T. Wright, Marcy? You, uh, I've heard he, the name, but okay. I haven't read much. Much no. of it, right? Uh-huh. He's he's probably yeah. one of the most published Christ, Christian authors in a non-academic way. He's a pastor, Anglican pastor, but probably one of the most published uh, authors on the alive today. And so he's just always writing. It's hard to keep up with what he's written. There's so much that he's written, and so. Um, but Time Magazine reached out to him, asked him to kind of give a Christian view of Corona and the global situation, and he wrote an article, and the title of the article is is this, and I think this is what sparks a lot of the controversy. Controversy, the, the article says, Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus. It's not supposed to. That's the name of the article. Um, I think up front he took a lot of hit controversy hits because of the title. Um, shortly after it came out, and he said, I didn't title it, Time Magazine titled it. The editors titled it, which is a normal practice, uh, interesting. it seems like. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, which, again, those of us not in a journalism world would, wouldn't know that. But um, And Time very much has assured, yes, he didn't title it, we titled it. And that's the way apparently all their uh, articles go. They're titled by editors, not by the authors. So, um, so with that, I felt a little better. But essentially, he jumps in um, and talks about kind of this great uh, reprieve of life Um that this this sheltering in place, this global sheltering, that's also happened in the season of Lent. How it's at the back end of Lent this year, and um, how that's kind of ironic. But at the same time, the Lent uh, disciplines ha- are really a mockery of what we're actually going through, and the disciplines we're having to practice now um, in all of this, especially when it comes to. The way we worship uh, and the way we do church and the body and, 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 and interact with the body, um, but he goes on and that's not really the gist of it. He's going to talk the irony of that, but this is how he kind of opens. He says the reason we normally try to meet in the flesh, so this gathering together, um, there is a reason. Uh, sorry, there is a reason solitary confinement is such a severe punishment, and this Lent has. Um, man, I'm a horrible reader today. And this Lent has no fixed Easter to look forward to. Uh, we can't tr- tick off the days. There is, uh, this is a stillness, not of rest, but of poised and anxious sorrow. And so he's kind of talking about how their Lent season is going to come to an end with no kind of celebration or breaking of fast together as traditionally the Easter service would be. Have you felt any of that in your own life in the last few weeks? Did, we're at the we're a couple days after Easter. Did you feel it kind of uh, a lack of closure to Easter or a lack of um, uh, pinnacle to your Easter season, your Lent season this year? Yeah, I think you know I I didn't participate in Lent uh, mostly because I'm lazy to be honest. But um, um, 
I did feel this. I thought Easter was really unique, <laughs> very weird mm-hmm. feeling to me. And even I had to kind of have a, a, a mind heart check about 11 a.m. on uh, Wednesday, a uh, Sunday morning, because I was so frustrated. Like in my mind, I wanted Easter to be extremely similar to what it was, you know, getting dressed and being with family and it just, I was trying to do that and it just wasn't happening. You know, I was trying to put Avery in this Easter dress and she was fighting me and I was about to lose it. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is insane. Why am I trying? Why am I trying to do this? Why don't I relax my perspective and my expectations and enjoy today, you know? And so, um, I ended up, uh, which, you know, I ended up going around and, and seeing some different staff members from six feet away and yeah. not touching or not, yeah. you know. And in the middle of it, I listened to church and worshiped in the car. And it turned into an incredibly uh, life-giving experience and day um, that I do think is what Easter is supposed to be. But it was not the normal. And I was just talking to someone else about this. I think... Easter being different this year is really good. Like I don't, it it felt bad (laughs) and it didn't feel fun, but I think it was, it made it real. You know, Mm. I think so many of us just have the habit of getting our dresses on or our nice clothes and going and taking family pictures and having a meal and, you know, doing these things. And it becomes it for me, it's Easter often is a very, it's not, there's not a lot of heart involved in my worship because there's so much going on that day, you know? And so it was a much more pure day for me. Um, But it was very interesting. Uh, What about you, Cody? If it makes you feel better, my every Sunday is that way. Mm. (laughs) Stephanie gets up early most Sundays and heads into church to get ready for all the children's ministry um, classes and people and leaders. And so I have all three kids, get them ready by myself, get them to church by myself. Uh, and when we get there, I usually just need some time to not mm-hmm. have to talk to anybody. So I very much understand it. So there's a piece of me that's enjoyed the last few Sundays because I haven't had to have that fight. But at the same time, it, I've missed a million other things. Uh, I don't miss that Sunday morning fight with my kids, but I've missed a million other things about Sunday mornings and gatherings and and hugs and shaking hands and all the things that is the body of Christ in gathering at least. And so, so yeah, this Sunday was much deeper. I think for me is how I've come to explain it. I think it was, um, so we have, we have really focused in on our children in this time and not just homeschool and making sure they don't forget everything they've learned the last few months, but also just in the way we do family. And it's, it's all Stephanie. I'm like you. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really practice the deep disciplines of of the season but Stephanie has very much said this time is going to be about our family and so we had a family devotion every morning and went through the week of the passion week and so Sunday last Sunday we actually did Lord's Supper together as a family um, in our house and it was a great time and I got to serve it to Stephanie and to Bishop and then got to explain to Piper and Thatcher um, who haven't been publicly baptized or made a public profession of faith on this is what this is, and this is why we're going to share it, and you're going to be here to pray with us, but not take. And it's just a really good conversation as a dad, just a good time. But then the next day, we talked about Jesus in the temple and how my house should be a house of prayer, not of robbers and thieves and trading, and what that meant. Um, and then we just kind of went through the week. And Tuesday, Jesus 
teaches in the temple and declares himself the Messiah. And, and all the way through the week, and then we get to Friday where the Lord's Supper happens, and all of our kids remember, hey, that's what we did. We did that last Sunday together. So like there were dots that were being connected. And, and then Saturday was a day of silence and waiting for us, and we talked about that. And then Sunday was a morning about resurrection. And Stephanie even did it where uh, the Easter eggs we did, because our kids are just in it for the candy. That's like their motto for life, just in it for the candy. And they, uh, <laughs> if there's candy involved, they're 100% in. Yeah. And so, but she even put empty Easter eggs that were white in the midst of their Easter egg hunt. So when they opened them up, we're like, this is the truest Easter egg that it's empty. They, the same way the tomb was empty. And Steph made that parallel amazing. Even though for us it feels kind of cliche and cheesy for a nine and a six and a five-year-old, they were it was very much a real application for them. Yeah. And so, so I'd say Easter was real for us. It was noisy during worship time. You know, we watched it on TV, but we've decided we're going to do it as a family, and so it was noisy. Um, the kids were there and not paying attention, um, but Stephanie and I just sang and enjoyed worship together. And at one point, I think each of the kids crawled in our laps at one point during the Sunday sermon, and so... It was just a real time for us that the what Easter is got some new depth for us, some new roots, I think, that will be around for a long time in both of our lives. So, so yeah. yeah. I think um, jumping on in this article, uh, Dr. Wright continues. He says this lack of closure for most people, this idea, this kind of non-final celebration has really – made us look for answers. And he talks about, you know, there's going to be the crazy Christians that go on and say that, you know, it's some sinful world that has led, that God is doing the coronavirus, created the coronavirus to, to, in, in response to some sin in our world, um, all the way to the idea that this is the end times, right? Like the end times are among us. And we've, we've all seen that. Um, or it's a punishment to Christians, as I've seen roaming around out of the Second Chronicles 7, that, you know, it's because we're not praying enough. Just as a church, we're not praying enough, so God has brought coronavirus. And as much as I, des- I understand people's desire for that, I just don't buy it. I, I'm just like, that's, I don't feel peace at any of those thoughts. And so what Dr. Wright argues, he goes on to say, he says, rationalists, they want explanations, romantics, they want this sigh of relief, this release in the midst of great pressure. But perhaps we need more than either of these to recover the biblical tradition of lament. Maybe God is actually calling us back to lament and remember lament. And he defines, he says, lament is what happens when people ask why and don't get an answer. It's where we get to when we move beyond our self-centered worry about our sins and failings and look more broadly at the suffering of the world. When I read that sentence, which is his thesis essentially of this whole article, I was I was done. I, I, I was like, that's it. That is what this season mm-hmm. is for me, at least. I can't speak for every believer, every part of the body. But for the part of the body that I play, that is dead on to what this season already has been and what I think continue will be. Um, and with that in mind, I don't, I don't expect every believer to agree with that. Many have published that they completely disagree with that. But at the same time, I think there's a rightness to it. Even if there is more to this than it being a season of lament for the church, there's a depth and a basis to it that is just spot on for the church as a whole. What, have you ever experienced lament? What does lament look like for you in your life? And, and what have you called it? If you haven't called it lament, maybe what have you called it? Yeah, I, I agree. I love 
that he brings it to lament, you know? Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't have called it lament. Um, but you know, the last, well, I, I came out of the season in what, 28, Avery was born 2018. Yeah. 2018 of, you know, five years of trying to, uh, get pregnant and not being able to, so struggling with infertility. And then at the same time, my dad being really sick uh, for those five years. And it was just five years of no answers and fear and um, struggle of, you know, God, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What am I not worshiping you enough? Are you real? You know, all of the questions. And, um, and it wasn't a phase. I mean, it was five years, you know, that was quite a while. (laughs) Um, And so I think that there was, there were, you, I had to um, settle in, and I think even in the midst of that, you still ask the question why, but you come to an answer, a point where you realize, I just can't find out. I just can't know. In the middle of this, I'm not going to know why this is happening, and I've got to, like, continue just to follow Jesus in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. And um, so that for me, that, that has been a season, a long season of mm-hmm. lament for me. Um, and, and even, you know, five years was long for me. I'm sure there are others that will listen to this that will have long, much longer sure. seasons of suffering. So yep. um, I also really wanted your perspective on it, you know, because I know that, I mean, you need to tell, you know, kind of about your experience. But then also I know so many, you know, where it talks about the, um, let me, you know, where it talks about the, Oh, goodness, sorry. Oh, no doubt the usual silly suspects will tell us why God is doing this to us. You know, um, tell us about a little bit about your car wreck and the um, people that were trying to give you reasons for what happened yeah. and, and really how that felt. Because I think that that um, that can be really harmful for someone who's suffering. So, yeah, um, yeah I think, uh, yeah, two years ago last week, so... Yeah, two years ago last week in a car wreck hit by a drunk driver, rear-ended by a drunk driver. He was going about 60. I was going about zero. Um, not about. I was going literally zero. And uh, <laughs> um, I was in a little bitty uh, crossover car. He was in a big truck, and he just slammed in the back of me. Broke my neck, uh, ruptured my C1 uh, in, in my neck, and so now I have a fusion of C1 through C3. Went through six months of... Um, not being able to use my neck or pick anything up or anything while the fuse took, fuse healed. And and then after that, as I began to recover, I only have about 40% uh, range of motion in my neck and about 50% strength in my neck. And so there's just a lot of restrictions I have in life now um, because of that one single split second um, of driving home uh, on a Thursday night from campus. And so... Uh, and that was something I wrestled with a lot is someone would come in and say, I'm, I'm excited to see what God, how God is going to use this in your life. And I just looked in the mirror and I was like, I don't know. No, I don't want God to use this. I want to get through this. I want this to be over. Um, and plenty of people said it and I never judged them for it. I never looked at it cause I know their intent was not just good. Their intent was best. Like they really were excited to see how God could use something this impactful uh, in my life for his glory. And I definitely want that to happen. I'm not, I'm not shying away from that. But at the same time, I looked at, I looked at it and I was like, you can look, as people would tell me, it's like, you can look at a situation. I have to look in a mirror. 
Um, this is this isn't just a uh, incident to me. This is my breathing, and this is my life. And I remember the first day Steph and I kind of got out of the house to go run some errands, and I'm still in a neck brace, still very limited. This is a couple weeks, three weeks after the wreck, and and we back out of the car, and she goes, "Here's our new normal." And I looked at her, I was like, stop the car. And I was like, please, can we never say normal again? There's nothing about this situation I want to be normal. Um, and kind of since that day, I've just hated the word and the idea of normal. Um, I've been writing a little bit about this just on my own lately, this idea. Because you hear it in the news now, what will a new normal be when this is over? And I just am convinced and I, people can critique this idea, but the only way to critique, I think, is semantics. Is I'm, I'm not convinced normal is a biblical idea, Marcy. I, I'm just not. I think when we have normal, it's based in control, and it's based in routine, and it's based in familiarity. And the more I read the gospel and the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles, I hear that God is trying to do something new in us and recreate us for something beyond ourselves. And if we're fighting for normal, how is God going to create something new? Um, and I'm just really wrestling with that idea. I have been for a couple years now, but right now is that idea of the new normal is in the media. Uh, I get it. What, what, what Dr. Wright says, he goes, people want explanation, especially rationalists. He even says even Christian rationalists want explanation. And romantics, even Christian romantics, want to be given this sigh of relief. Um, but but God can do other things. He doesn't have to give explanation. He doesn't have to give relief. Sometimes he can give lament. And, and Wright goes on to show in the Psalms how David lamented, but then even goes into the Old Testament and talks about how God lamented. And I just, when, when, when he gets into that stuff, when he talks about Genesis and God lamenting over the sinfulness of the world, um, which is what led to the flood, uh, and then all the times God destroys out of lament, um, but then into the life of Jesus, how life, how Jesus is actually a lament in the flesh, how God not only lamented the sin of mankind, but even the separation he had from mankind, and so satisfies that by Jesus. And therefore, Jesus is a lament. The life of Jesus is a lament from God. I just really appreciated the way he walked through not just a couple stories, but the entire gospel. And even says this is a mystery, right? That God himself laments. Like he, he, We can overplay God's sovereignty, he says, by saying, well, God knows everything, is in charge of everything, so he must be calm and completely unaffected by the troubles of the world. But that's not the picture that the Bible paints of God. And so when God brings us to seasons of lament, it for me is an encouragement where God is inviting me to partake in part of who he is. It's not a separation or even a reminder of separation. It's an invitation. Um, and so, so yeah, and I'll admit, I never called it lament. Uh, I, I want to, I actually have a friend who goes, Cody, you need to practice lament over and over and over. Over the last two years, as I battled some PTSD issues with the wreck, he has told me, you need to practice lament, you need to practice. So I went and I read the Psalms of Lament, really connected with the 88th Psalm, where it ends, all I know is darkness, right? Like that, where is hope in that verse, right? <laughs> and so, um, but read through them. But really, until this, till I read this article a couple weeks ago, I really never understood why I needed to practice lament. But now I would say I very deeply have practiced lament, still practicing lament in my life and in this season that I'm just waiting for God to move and stir um, as he does, 
right? It's not, I'm waiting for something that he's not doing. I'm waiting for something that he's always done. Yeah. You said so many good things. I Sorry, don't know. that got preachy. My <laughs> fault. <laughs> Sorry, you, you asked me a question and I couldn't help but give all my thoughts. So uh, nothing new there, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I do like that you brought up the 88 Psalm, which he referenced, um, and that was so true to you. Because um, I just think in the, I mean, there are so many people that are feeling such sadness and grief right now, you know, Um some that have lost a family member, some that have lost mm. multi- many family members. Yep. And I, I mean, I grieve at the thought of that, you know, losing, you know, as I, I shared my five year struggle with my dad's health, it, you know, it came to an end, um, the day after your car wreck and, yep. you know, and I was there with him and it was still such a sad mm. experience. And so, I mean, it makes me so um, sad to think of the many, many, I mean, the thousands of family members that aren't, that are dying alone um, or that are losing so many of their family members or the people who have lost their jobs and, you know, um, have great real fear about survival, you know, Um, and um, I do, I, I go back to what you talked about with the thesis. I love where it talks about, you know, it brings up South Sudan and mm-hmm. the, the, the refugees um, in, in Greek, you know, Greek camps. I mean, just these, there are elements of suffering that are happening around the world. And so many of us have been insensitive or unaware. Yeah. Um, and so I'm thankful in a way for moments of but deeper understanding of others in the world and connection. And then also I I love that God says he's near to the brokenhearted, which is what you said, you know? And so how could he not, I mean, anytime I've been near to somebody who is brokenhearted, I feel, I feel that, you know, I feel the sadness and the pain that they feel, you know? And so how can not? How can God not be grieving and not be lamenting in the middle of this, um, as so many people are experiencing such sadness? You yeah. know. Um, but uh, there was one other thing I was going to say was that. Um, oh, I do think the themes, which I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but I think the theme of hope mm-hmm. is an interesting theme. And under that underlies lament. And I think there are moments where you can't feel any hope at all. <laughs> and yeah. Even as you said, um, in Psalm 88, and then there are other moments of like, well, if you can't feel hope, how do you keep moving forward? Yeah. You know, so this is the criticism uh, that the people who criticize the article, that's what they've argued is no, mm-hmm. there is an answer and it's hope. Um, but I actually think he says that, and they're, again, they're looking at the title that he didn't give, but, yes. but the last sentence of the article, um, he says, uh, and out of, um, let me find it. And out of that, uh, there can emerge new, and all of this are going to emerge, emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, a new hope. Um, and then he says, and new wisdom for our leaders with the question. Now there's a thought, which is kind of, if you, if you ever read them, you'll know that there's a lot of um, tactical sarcasm <laughs> in Dr. Wright's just kind of communication. And so that's very much along his lines of, yes, we need a new wisdom right now. Anyways, man, what a good time and a good way to bring it to our leaders. And so, uh, yeah, the hope idea there. And 
the hard part of his of the criticism is Dr. Wright actually has a book called Hope, and it's on the idea of hope and how hope is both empty in the sense of it's kind of an empty bubble. He, he literally talks about, uh, I think, foam or bubbles, the illustration he uses in the book, how they're very present and very uh, seeable and tangible, but they also disappear incredibly quickly as well. And that's how he kind of explains hope, that there's something there, but it's not very full. It's actually rather empty, but at the same time, it is very powerful, this hope, because it's because it's, we know it's not empty, but that's the point of faith, and how faith is the the strengthening of hope, and so which is what John talks about in his epistle, uh, his first epistle, and so so yeah, hope is is the gist of it all, um, and we have hope for new things, a new understanding of Christ, a new understanding of Easter, to go back to what he said, but also there's new ways to serve and new ways and, and new visions of those who do serve already, right? I mean just. Look at the way we have a, a better understanding and a better, a greater um, gratitude towards our uh, medical field and what they're doing and how they do it. And and the thing is, is what they're doing is not anything new. They do this every day. And so, but we're seeing that for a new way and a real way uh, for many the first time. And then teachers, I, I, I have three kids at home and I have, I'm reminded of my gratitude for their teachers, uh, and those who teach alongside of them. And I say that as someone who was raised by a teacher. My mom's a retired teacher, and so I've always had a gratitude towards teachers, but in this season, just more. So I think we're seeing a deeper understanding um, of, of those who have always been serving and always had a, a posture of service towards us as a community, towards us as the body um, of Christ, and just towards us as neighbors. And so... So, yeah, I enjoy this article. And I'll tell you what, we'll share, when we publish this episode, we'll share the article too. So everyone can go back and read it and see what we've seen. And uh, you can take your own, um, you can make your own decisions on it. And uh, maybe even try to find a couple of responses to it, positive and negative, and uh, share them as well. See if we can get them out there. So, because there's some really good dialogue, I think, too, um, uh, about it, about lament and what it is and what role it plays. Um, but I think it's important to remember that lament actually proves a relationship. The fact that we're lamenting something is evidence that there's relationship. Um, and I think that's the greatest hope for me in all of this is the fact that I do feel lament. If it's in this situation, the Corona virus and all the changes that it's commanded or, or demanded on our lives, um, or if it's my own life and the grief and the trauma of my own life and the seasons of lament I've already had uh, or am going through, um, it's proof of relationship. It's not, it's not evidence that there is no relationship. It's actually evidence that there is a relationship. Grief and trauma, it shows me that I know there is something better than what I'm walking through um, and that I, I believe I found a place to find it in Jesus himself and all the promises of Christ. So, so yeah. But we'll share this article and uh, put it out there for everybody. Marcy, thanks for jumping on again this week. I enjoy this. I hope you do. I hope all the listeners enjoy it. So, yep. Thanks for having me. All I right. loved it. I do too. <laughs> Bye. I, I don't know who the interview is this week, but we've got another story from one of our students following this. So, uh, yeah, have a great week, Marcy. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Hey, friends. Thanks for jumping on the Longhorn BSM Stories podcast again this week. We are so glad you are here. Uh, I'm Cody Schaus. I serve 
with the BSM, uh, the Baptist Student Ministry uh, team here at the University of Texas in Austin. And today, uh, another one of our team members, Marcy Martinez, is sitting down with London Lancaster. London's a senior at the University of Texas studying speech and language pathology. She'll be graduating here in just a few short weeks, and uh, I'm excited you get to hear from her today. London is one of our uh, most uh, welcoming and uh, just wonderful leaders, and I think today you'll get to hear that she's one of the most graceful leaders as well. An incredible, forgiving, and loving young lady that I know her story will um, bring you to a place where you see how Jesus has impacted her life and how she lives out uh, or desires and tries to live out what Jesus has done for her. We love you guys. We're proud of you. Enjoy. My name is Marcy Martinez, and I work at the the Baptist Student Ministry at UT. One of the great uh, parts of my job is that I get to cross lives with so many students who have uh, really crazy stories or really good stories, um, and many of those students uh, choose to follow Jesus with their life. And uh, my hope uh, today is that uh, as you listen to London, that you get to um, just to hear about how God intersected uh, on her journey and how that may be helpful for you um, or just interesting for you. I'm excited for you to get to hear about London today because she is a person that is very worthwhile and knowing and uh, I hope that you get to that you feel like you know her more at the end of this podcast. So okay, London, tell us about yourself. Where are you from and what are you studying? Who are you? So I'm London Lancaster. I am a class of 2020 student at UT Austin. I'm majoring in CSD, Communication Sciences and Disorders, Speech-Language Pathology. Um, I'm from Cleburne, Texas, which is a really small town kind of near Fort Worth. Okay. All right. Why did you choose that major? Um, Mostly it was because I took American Sign Language in high school. And so I got to see the communication barriers that deaf people face and how that affects their life. And I just realized how much I value communication and how important it is. And seeing their struggle, I just really have a lot of empathy for that and want to help other people with communication. Okay. All right. Do you still want to do that when you graduate? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I definitely am super passionate about the majors still. Um, it's definitely an option, but I also have learned that I have a lot of options and there's a lot of things that I value. And so right now I just have lots of options, which isn't a bad thing. I'm just indecisive. So yeah, options are good, uh, but scary at the same time. So, okay, let's hear a little bit about your background. Uh, tell us about what, um, Christianity or spirituality look like in your life and in your family as you were growing up. So I've always said, like, at any point in my life, if you had asked me, I would have told you I was a Christian. I definitely have now learned that I did not know what that meant whenever I was younger. Um, My family did not consistently go to church, so I didn't grow up with very much of a church background. My parents would also say that they're Christian, but it wasn't, like, a practice that we had in our day-to-day life, and I just really didn't know much about it. Tell us about your family's interaction with church. We mostly went to church 
Not even on holidays like Christmas and Easter. We didn't really do that, but there was just random days that we would try to go. Um, We normally went to a church that my uncle went to, but it was like a 30, 40 minute drive. Um, So it wasn't that convenient. And then my dad has had fluctuating jobs and depending on the job, sometimes he'd have work on Sundays. And it's one of those things where we didn't want to go unless it was as a family. As you were coming to college, uh, what did you anticipate being a Christian to look like in your life? I don't know that I really had a solid example or model of what I thought it would be. So I don't know that I really expected anything. I did know that it was something that had been coming up more in my life, and I knew that it was something I was definitely curious about and wanted to learn more about, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't sure exactly what that would look like. Okay. So, London, what was the shift for you? What was the shift from uh, the the culture of what you just described into who you are now? So I had said that I knew that it was something I was curious about, A huge reason is because growing up my entire life, I've had anxiety and depression. And my senior year of high school, it got really hard. That was when I finally talked to a doctor about it, was officially diagnosed, started thinking about trying medication. Um, But even despite all of that, I could tell like there was still something missing and that the medication or therapy, like anything, it just wasn't enough. And it had gotten to a point where I didn't know what else to try. And the only thing that kept coming up in my mind was the relationship with God. And so moving to Austin, I thought that would be a fresh start um, where there's new churches to try and different communities. And so I was really eager to get that opportunity to explore different ones and see if any of them fit for me. Mm -hmm. So when you did get to college and you were kind of hopeful that uh, potentially uh, a relationship with God or some form of religion could could help with your anxiety and depression, what things happened in order for you to find a relationship with God? I think it was two things happening at the same time that really pushed me in the right direction. One was I met my best friend, Gracie. And we were both exploring different organizations on campus. And she was into the BSM and really interested and curious about it. She had already gone to a few events. Um, So I ended up going with her to one of the BSM events. And I really felt the community there and felt connected. And then at the same time, since I had just moved to Austin, my uncle, who I used to go to church with, now lives in Austin, planted his own church, and so I knew I had to try that one, and same thing, I just instantly felt a connection and community and family, which is ironic, because my church really is literally family, but it's really small, and the people who aren't blood-related to me are very much family now. Okay, when you say you felt uh, connection and community, like what exactly did that feel like? I've realized that a lot of the friendships I had growing up weren't necessarily as close as I thought they were. Um, But once I came to Austin and met 
people through the BSM or church, I just felt how genuine the connections were and the friendships were. Um, people genuinely seemed to care about me and invite me to things and walk with me through my life, and it's just, it just feels very genuine. Okay. So uh, did you spend much time coming to the decision of I really want to get involved in the BSM or my uncle's church or what was that process for you what was going on in your mind as you were trying to decide what that what it would look like for your life there was definitely a moment when it all like picked up really fast um I was going to the different events going to church thinking about it um trying to figure out what I wanted my community and my friendships to be in Austin and after church one day my uncle invited me over to have lunch and we were just sitting there talking about it all and then he asked me like London have you had a specific moment where you actually asked God into your life and I just was taken aback from that I was like oh (laughs) I don't think I have done that and he shared with me a few verses one of them is Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you speak with your mouth the Lord Jesus and confess, then you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. And he explained to me that he didn't think that it needed to be a vocal confession, but it was something that you needed to directly talk to God and like directly say, I want you in my life. And I had never even thought of that before. And so... I sat there and did it that moment, and then after that, I just felt more connected with God, and um, I realized that I was serious about being a Christian and having a lifestyle like this. So you had a moment where you felt like you actually asked God to be a part of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes... uh, people believe that that uh, the the actual asking is uh the game changer or what Mm -hmm. what uh, changes everything in their life um how was your life uh just you know within that same day or afterwards I mean you had struggled with anxiety depression Mm -hmm. what happened with that I remember that week was just a really good week um I don't remember specific details now but I do remember that that week I was like whoa like something has changed and I was just really happy and positive and of course I'm still not like that all the time anxiety is still a struggle but I definitely have hope through Christ now Mm -hmm. Hmm. interesting we do believe that what you described is the the Holy Spirit uh, the Spirit of God um, actually kind of entering in you and Mm -hmm. and changing you making you a bit different so Mm -hmm. that is um, actually kind of crazy that you felt that Okay, once you decided to uh, uh, commit to following Jesus, uh, be faithful in your uncle's church, and be a part of the BSM, what did the rest of your freshman year, uh, what was it like? In regards to spirituality, I definitely still had a lot of fear, mostly because it was unknown to me. I didn't know what to expect and what this change in me would mean. Exactly. Um, I think it's something common when you step into a community of Christians that it's 
easy to feel as though you're the only one that doesn't know or doesn't understand or hasn't read every page of the Bible, but there's a lot of people who are in the same boat as you, even if they don't express it because they're all afraid. Um, But the main thing that I realized is that it's not a comparison, and whether I accepted Christ into my life today or 10 years ago, um, my relationship with God is unique from anybody else. Yeah. I'm glad you say that because, and even me, when I walk into a new church, I I, I kind of go off of at least the assumption that everybody else in this church knows everyone besides me. Mm. I think a lot of people do that, and that makes it intimidating and scary. But the reality is on any given week, there are always new people um, who don't know the community the community or don't know the people in there. And then there are also, um, there, there are just so many ranges of people. I think one thing, one, obviously when our name is Baptist student ministry, we have the stereotype that everyone is Baptist, but did you have a Baptist background? No, (laughs) I'm pretty sure every church I've ever attended was non-denominational. Um, the church that I attend now is part of the Calvary Chapel, but it's very much same, very denominational based. Yeah, so I would. That, I think that's also part of the part podcast is so that people get to understand that um, all different backgrounds and even religious um, histories are represented both at the BSM and then most other populations too. Mm-hmm. I think we are all guilty of making some assumptions about people when we walk into a a new environment, yeah. As you began to learn more and uh, we would use, you know, grow in your understanding of what it looked like to follow Jesus, what what did begin to change in you? I think overall the biggest growth that I have had is the joy that I have with knowing Christ, but then even more than that, the feeling of not wanting to keep it to myself, just wanting to share that because it's such a good thing for me and in my life. And so I want other people to know about that so that they can have the same opportunity. When you, when you say share that, what exactly do do you mean? This sharing my story and how I came to know Jesus and just telling friends and neighbors and anybody whenever it comes up in the conversation, and even if it doesn't, to segue into that and just tell people about my experiences. Okay. I know you shared about the time uh, where you were with your uncle and you asked uh, God to be a part of your life, but since then, in the last three, four years, has there been, when what have been other times that have been Uh, places or points of of great growth in your relationship with God? Definitely the first real mission trip that I've ever been on, which was Beach Reach. So while I was at Beach Reach, I learned a lot about prayer. Prayer was something that really coming into college I had never done before, and so it wasn't until I was immersed in these Christian communities that I really saw it and understood what it was and I hadn't spent very much time at all doing it and definitely not out loud in front of other people but in Beach Reach 
I just saw the need and I saw how powerful prayers were and how God answered them. And it was just really inspiring and really important to me. And so I spent a lot of the trip too just praying because I would see others sharing around me and the person next to me wasn't necessarily receptive. And so I would see that like my place at that moment was to be praying for those that were having better conversations. For those of you who don't know what Beach Reach is, Beach Reach, um, Christian students go down to South Padre Island every spring break to serve um, the other college students that go to Padre Island on spring break. So uh, Christian students uh, raise their own money and they... Um, they go down for the week and they sacrifice a lot of sleep and we we give free rides uh, from hotels to the club or club back to uh, condos which really wherever uh, someone that is on the beach needs to go uh, we give free rides at, at the same time we have free pancakes in order to feed uh, people who might be hungry specifically at 2 a.m. when Louis shuts down and it's it's really also a time for Christian students just to serve um, the population that is, is in South Padre Island. Mo, uh, there's a lot of UT students that actually go to South Padre Island, and so it's very common for us to run into classmates and, and be able to make friends when we come back uh, for, for classes and things like that. So it's just a very tangible way for uh, our, our Christian students to be able to serve um, their classmates and their friends while they're having fun on spring break. So, okay, so Beach Reach, any other uh, key moments of growth in your life? Going along with prayer, I definitely learned how God can provide for you because I am an introvert, and being around that many people basically the entire week we were there was very draining for me, but I was definitely equipped with the energy I needed to push through. Also, it was just fatigue. I need a lot of sleep more than most people so um I was definitely equipped in that way to have the energy I needed okay you know um oftentimes I think uh Christians even try to present uh, the the idea that when someone comes to follow Jesus that everything is just beautiful and rosy after that um would you mind sharing maybe some of the obstacles or um life continues to go on so maybe sharing uh some some experiences you've had in the last three years that that have made it harder to follow jesus or just harder in life well i definitely still experience anxiety and depression that's an everyday struggle my faith has definitely given me hope to get through that but i have had moments where it was almost harder because I am very aware of how many times in the Bible it says, do not be afraid or do not be anxious. And I'm just like, here I am. <laughs> very anxious, though. Um, so I've had concerns before that it was me being disobedient in a way because I'm still anxious, even though it says don't be anxious. And I know I'm supposed to trust in God. And so giving over that control I think has been difficult for me and just trusting that God will get me through it and like his plan will happen. It's also been 
a comfort, though. Ironically, my favorite verse is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. That says, be anxious for nothing, um, because that verse just gives me a lot of comfort at the same time. Yeah. I actually really appreciate all the times in the Bible where it says, do not worry, because it's God, in my opinion, it's God recognizing, oh, life is scary, and there are situations where we are worrying, or we are afraid, and he wants to be with us, you know, and so it's almost a comfort in my mind. Obviously, excessive worry is another situation, but I, I do appreciate that he he sees that we are concerned and we are afraid and we are worried and wants to meet us in that place. Um, okay, so London, when you say you experience anxiety and depression, like give us like more, what does that look like on the day-to-day? I obsessively think a lot (laughs) and so at times it's really hard for me to get control of my thoughts um, because there's just so many racing thoughts through my head at once I definitely spiral that's the way my anxiety works and so I'll have this little thing like I'm gonna be late to class that turns into everybody's gonna see me late to class and they're all gonna judge me my professor's gonna hate me I'm going to fail. Like, it just spirals into these huge things that just seem like the end of the world to me at the moment. That's normally how a panic attack can start. Whenever I have a panic attack, it's more of physical responses that I'm not in control of. Um, Sometimes I shake. It's usually a lot of crying that I can't control. Um, I get nauseous. Just a lot of physical symptoms. Um, that I can't control. Wow. Okay. (laughs) That sounds horrible. Um, Okay. Well, when you're in the middle of a situation, as you just described, uh, what are your thoughts about God? A lot of times I honestly don't think about God as quickly as I want to because I can't control the bad thoughts that are happening, let alone remind myself of good ones. Um, Sometimes I have had questions of, like, why is this happening to me, things like that. But I have started trying to cope with trying to focus on things that do comfort me and so remembering scripture that I have memorized or just sitting down and, like, opening the Bible and looking at passages can give me something to do so that I can focus and try to clear the thoughts from my head. Mm -hmm. I I think why is a big question people often ask that even separates them from God. Um, As you have struggled with anxiety and oppression, do you ever ask God why you struggle with that or why can't you overcome? Not as much as I probably used to. Um, because I've also had a lot of good things come out of the struggles that I've had in life, even anxiety, because I've been able to relate to other people who have the same struggles as I do. And so good things have come out of it, and so I try to focus on that. I'm curious, what does, you know, you mentioned sharing your faith, uh, to people around you. 
I, I'm interested to hear what that looks like for someone who uh, it could is possibly anxious or also um, doesn't really like being around large people, large crowds of people, or many people at all. So, w- what does that kind of look like for you internally? I definitely get nervous about the way others will view me. Um, that's part of my anxiety is criticizing literally everything I do and say. And so knowing that spiritual topics and Christianity is a touchy subject for some people, it can be really hard for me to want to put myself and somebody else in a potentially awkward or uncomfortable situation. And so it's not something I just automatically want to go for. But I have had many opportunities where the conversations went that way or I felt I had a good segue to share something about my life or Jesus. And it's really hard to have the courage to go for that. But whenever I see those opportunities, I usually can tell that's not something that I have done, that it's probably the Holy Spirit doing that. And so I take advantage of it. And luckily most of the reactions I've had have been really good. Again, why do you want to share about Jesus? You know, I think a lot of Christians do share about Jesus with other people, but can you just give us some insight on why for you you would even want to share about him? It's kind of like the same feeling I have about my major. I care so much about other people, and whenever I see that there's something that could help somebody. Like, I want to be a part of that, and I want to help them have it. So, like, with my major, I want to help people have communication. And so now that I know what a relationship with God is and what it feels like, I can see that other people are lacking that, and I want them to see that as well and then hopefully choose to bring that into their own life. Mm -hmm. As you are a follower of Jesus now, how do you see the world differently than you did before? I think I am very aware of things like the big picture. As detail-focused as I am, I'm constantly looking for the big picture. And now that I have a relationship with God and it's something that I strive to make part of my everyday it's to the point where it's hard not to see him in my life and in others' lives and just to see the bigger picture of how he's shaping my life and the plans that he has for me. London, what does faithfulness look like in your life? There are certain things that I have willingly chosen to do that I probably would have never expected. An example is... I intentionally lived in the Jester dormitory for three years, even though it's very odd for anyone other than a freshman to be living in the dorms. But I know I definitely felt the feelings that come with being a freshman and living in the dorms and the uncertainty and nervousness and the loneliness I felt my freshman year and I knew that BSM had a dorm ministry 
That's whole intention was to stay in the dorms and meet all those other people that are feeling lonely and confused and to help them find a community. And so I very much believed that that's something that I should do as well because I saw how much of an impact it had on my life. And again, I just wanted to do the same thing for other people and help them find that. Okay. So you lived in the dorm for three years. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird for a junior to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what types of things would you do as you lived in Jester and tried to help freshmen? A lot of it is what we called being intentional. It was simply living your life, eating dinner, studying. But anytime you do something like that and you could do it with somebody, you just ask. It was meeting our neighbors, finding friends that lived in the same dorm, and just inviting them to live life with you. Okay, you made that sound really easy. Is that very easy? Not really. (laughs) Um, A lot of people aren't as receptive to it because they do think it's kind of weird, like, you're older than me, what are you doing? Um, A lot of people are just really busy, Finding schedules that line up is really hard. Finding people that are receptive to making new friends. They think that they have their group of friends and they're good. They don't need any more. So there's definitely a lot of difficulties, especially for me being an introvert and having anxiety. Same feelings of just being afraid to start those conversations. And being in the dorm with that mindset, you have to take the reins and guide those conversations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Going back to, um, you know, when you first kind of came to UT, you had very little understanding about what it looked like to walk with God um, to where you are now. What, in what ways can you see that you have changed? I think there's a lot of choices that I have made in my life where I can directly see how God is using me through those things. They're not always easy, but they're not always hard. But things I can definitely feel as though I was guided to do this and how I'm able to help people and give God the glory through it. Okay. When you say you feel like you were guided, what does that mean? I know that people can hear God's voice in different ways. For me, it's not actually hearing a voice. Um I see God most through repetition and things that I'm just so astonished by. And I'm like, this is not a coincidence. Like, there's no way. And so many of those things just continuously happen in my life that I've begun to recognize that that's God talking to me. And so that's how I make a lot of my decisions. How does following Jesus affect the things that you love in life? I think a lot of the things I love, God put that desire in me, and I can see why he's doing that. Um, I have a passion for working for and caring about children. I have had a lot of jobs now relating to kids, At my church, I walk in and, like, all the parents just kind of bring their kids to me if the kids don't willingly come to me. 
and I spend the whole time playing with the kids before and after service. And I'm also part of the children's ministry where once a month I stay with the kids and do a Bible study with them. And the job that I have currently is a faith-based after-school program. So through my love for children and apparently being really good at being with them, I've been able to also share with them about Jesus and my life with Jesus. Okay. Um, so you like kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, did you like kids before you became a follower of Jesus? I did. I didn't have as much experience with it, and I definitely wouldn't approach it with the same mindset as I do now. Um, I always enjoyed being with kids, but now it's also I have that just instinct to care for them and in doing that also share about Jesus because part of me wishes that I had known earlier in life, and so I want to give them that opportunity. So can you go back to when you were talking about as a high school senior, you felt uh, a a large amount of anxiety and depression and uh, had tried other things and was in a place in life where you wanted, when you began to to think about uh, religion or spirituality, kind of what was going on in your mind during that time? My anxiety was definitely bad, and so I had a lot of thoughts um, criticizing myself and my value and my purpose in life, really. Um, I tried to find my worth and value in things that are not possible, like friendships, relationships, basically the way other people see me. And so whenever I learned about the way God sees me, it was astonishingly different, and I knew that that was something that I wanted to value and have in my life. While we're on the topic of kind of you being in a place of trying to move maybe toward God, having these thoughts about I, I need something new and different, um, what was what was happening and what did happen in your family during this transition and even when you decided to follow Jesus? Like how did that affect your family dynamic? I was definitely open about it all especially with my mom I would call her and tell her like I just went to this BSM event and it was really fun and like things like that and as my relationship with God shifted so did those conversations where I would tell her about I had this feeling that I've never felt before but it was so good and like things like that and now eventually too I'm so excited because I've been sharing with this person and I'm just so excited about it. So I think my mother has probably seen the shift in my feelings and our conversations whenever I tell her about it. And it's been really cool to see that I think she has as well. Um, There's been times where I told her about a devotional, a Bible study that I was doing that I was really excited about. And she's like, oh, I just found one that I'm doing too. And I was like, I didn't even know you knew what that was Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's been fun to see that relationship grow with both of us. Lena, if you could encourage somebody who has uh, anxiety and depression, what would you say in order to try to encourage them? That they are 
not the only one who feels like this, even though everybody's situation is entirely different and there's no way that you could completely understand. There are still people who understand because they have similar experiences. And at least for me, knowing that, knowing that I'm not alone, has been a huge source of comfort for me. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out the BSM Stories podcast this week. The Longhorn BSM serves to connect students to the love of Christ and help them grow as disciple makers. If you have more questions about the Longhorn BSM, check out our website, longhornbsm.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Longhorn BSM. This week, your hosts were Cody Schaus and Marcy Martinez, and this episode was produced and edited by Turner Barnes. Thanks, guys. Much love.